Well, hey everybody, it is uh, good to be with you once again. I'm Heath Haynes. I'm one of the elders here at the Bridge Montrose, and I'm a part of our Central Heights House Church, and I'm excited to be continuing Mark. Uh, we've been working through Mark, seeking to understand the crown and the cross of Christ. In doing that, we're looking at the importance of the identity of Jesus as King and how that helps us understand the importance of our own identity being rooted in Christ our King. And then when we come into January, we'll turn the corner in chapter 8 and we're going to see the purpose of Jesus going to the cross and how that affects our entire understanding of our purpose for our lives. Go ahead, if you would, uh, and turn to Mark 5. We're going to start in verse 21. So Mark 5, 21. As you're turning, I want to ask you a question. Here it is. Are you a patient person? Are you a patient person? Maybe for some, that's a dreaded question. Um, some of us are patient. Some of us are not patient. Um, as I reflected on that question for myself, I kind of came away with this and seeing that my level of patience is vastly different depending on what I feel the level of importance is of any given situation. And I don't think I'm any different than anyone else. What maybe we see a difference is what we would define as uh, the importance of a situation. Um, you, you know, I, I've never been impatient to get to my dentist appointment. As a matter of fact, I don't often make them. But I was, uh, I, I was very impatient to get to my dentist when I broke my tooth. As we come into our text today, we come to the climax of these scenes around the lake, the Sea of Galilee, where the followers of Jesus are being faced with their trust in him, with his timing of responding to their crisis. Last week in Mark 4, we saw that the disciples and Jesus are in a boat. There's a storm. The disciples are freaking out, and Jesus is sleeping in the boat. And the disciples say to him in Mark 4:38, they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I don't know about you. That I mean, maybe that feels familiar. Have you ever found yourself feeling that way with how God is responding to you? Do you not care that we are perishing? The disciples didn't feel uh, that Jesus was showing the appropriate urgency in responding to the storm they were in. Last week, as we looked at it, as we looked at Jesus being king of the storm, over the storm, and in the storm, we saw that God is greater than we are and his wisdom is infinite. That we must come to a place of trusting him, even when we can't fully understand what is going on in our lives. If you haven't listened to last week's sermon, I highly encourage you to listen to it as soon as you are able. I'm so grateful for the way that the Lord worked through Blaine last week. Um, as we come into Mark 5, 21 through 42 today, we have a similar opportunity as we look at how Jesus responded to an emergency situation. Specifically we're invited to consider God's sense of timing versus ours. Let me just stop right here and pray for us. God, man, I just, I feel a need to just say, help us to be present right now. Lord, as I am speaking this as others are listening to this at different moments across the week or whatever is happening with each one right now 
help us just to to just slow down lord to be present in your word and fellowship with you lord to be reflective lord to to be engageable to see and to hear and to think lord and to even possibly feel lord we need you Lord, we thank you that you are faithful, that you meet us where we are. We thank you that you have given us your word, Lord, that we can know you, we can understand you, we can know ourselves and understand ourselves and our purpose and opportunities and promises in this world. So, Lord, I just want to surrender this time to you right now as I am teaching and recording it and these moments as each of us are engaging this in our own time and as we come together in our house churches. Um, Lord, be in our midst. Lord, work through your truth. Lord, bring freedom, transformation, and unity, all for your glory and by the power of your name, Jesus. Amen. So, as we come into this text, I want to work through the events that occurred in Mark 5, 21 through 42, and really draw out the human drama as we go. And then we're going to identify just two truths that will help us grow in our patience in the midst of the difficulties and needs that we face. So as we come into the text, we start off by being introduced to a prominent man named Jairus, who was a religious leader and ruler of the synagogue. So with that, this man, he would have been a man of high stature. He would have been thought of well by the community, a moral leader, morally respected. He would have been respected as a spiritual leader, um, and he would have been a person of wealth, well-known. So that's this man. So we come to Mark 5, 21. It says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. So I just want to stop. I don't want us to miss this, right? So this man, Jairus, and all that he is, came before Jesus. And for us, we think of Jesus as the Savior of the world. That's our context. At least we understand that claim of Jesus. Jairus obviously knew some reputation of Jesus, but Jesus was a Galilean carpenter. And this powerful, wealthy, well-respected man got down on his knees in the dirt before him. What would compel Jairus to do that? What would cause such desperation. Let's continue. It says, He fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. So what we see is that Jairus' daughter is ill to the point of death. What Jairus is saying is, Jesus, my daughter will die unless you come to heal her right away. She only has a few breaths left. So, so put yourself in Jairus's place. You know, you feel the desperation of your sweet little girl, or, or maybe if you don't have children, maybe it's helpful just to think of another dear loved one facing imminent death. You feel the desperation of, of that you're helpless. You've done all you can do. There's nothing left to do. And you're there by her side. But then you hear 
that a great miracle worker has landed in your village. You rush out. Now you have desperation, but you have it combined, commingled with hope. You feel the urgency of getting Jesus to that loved one, to that daughter, that loved one and, and that is so sick and hopes that it's not too late. So as we continue, register the moment, right? We have Jesus, we have his disciples, we have Jairus, and we have a great crowd that wants to see miracles. And they're all going through the streets on the way to Jairus' house. So let's see what happens next. Mark 5, 24 says, And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So in the midst of this great crowd, right? I mean, it's like, Black Friday Galleria Mall crowd, right? <laughs> like, we're introduced to another person of interest. We meet a hemorrhaging woman, and, and to be clear, this is, this is a, a continuous menstrual bleeding. So instead of what we would think of like as once a month, it is a continuous bleeding that she has been experiencing this a chronic illness that has caused her so much suffering for 12 years. The, the difficulty of being sick, the, the stress of paying for the, the, the need, the, the social stigma of what that would bring. She saw all kinds of treatment, but it is not only she's not getting better, she's actually getting worse. I mean, you could say that even her treatment has been making her suffer more. So we continue in Mark 5, 27. It says, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she says, she thought to herself, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him. I'm going to stop right there. In the midst of a great pressing crowd right so this crowd like you're just bumping up against people all the time a woman touches jesus and is healed we see that jesus sensed that power had gone out from himself right he jesus knew that there had been a healing and that he had given something of himself for that healing so what does jesus do jesus stops this emergency parade and says what does he say let's see what happens next we continue in verse 30 it says, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? As if to say, like, how in the world could we possibly know? How in the world do you even care about any one person touching you? And it says, And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So Jesus says, I need to find out who touched me. And, and there's something nuanced here, but so important. 
Okay, so let's look at this. Jesus calls out for, for the person to reveal themselves and makes them tell the whole truth. So this means that the woman that wanted a hit and run healing had to come forward and not just identify herself, but tell her whole story of all that she had been through over the last 12 years leading up to what motivated her to touch the garment of Jesus. And let's just make sure we're, we're recognizing this here. Like he's saying that the whole truth is like recounting every detail. She says she has seen many physicians. She spent all her money. She has suffered greatly. She is desperate. There are a lot of details to that. And guess what? That takes time. And why do I say that? Because who's standing there? Don't forget why they're walking in this crowd. Jairus is standing right there. So we see that the disciples are irritated. We can only imagine that Jairus is fuming. And then we have Jesus who is composed He's in the moment as if nothing else is happening with this woman. I don't know about you, but especially if I was Jairus, I would have called foul on Jesus. See, uh, I was a wilderness first responder back in the day. What that means is that I was certified to provide emergency care in wilderness settings where definitive health care is two or more hours away. One of the first things we were taught was how to triage situations where there are multiple injuries. What you do is you identify the injuries that are not life-threatening and those uh, who, whose lives are in danger, and you treat the greater danger first. It's kind of common sense, honestly, but what happens here? How would you feel if you were Jairus watching Jesus take all this time to care for a chronically ill woman who had been sick with this for 12 years, 12 years, what is a few more hours? He took the, all this time with her instead of rushing to, to your daughter or loved one who only has moments and you hope they have moments. I would have called foul. Then it happens. Mark 5:35 says while, while he was still speaking, while Jesus was, was saying those words of blessing, of healing to the woman, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? I mean, poor Jairus. I cannot imagine what he would have felt in that moment, right? I mean, the, the confusion, the anger, the disappointment, the sadness, the grief, the fury. And guess what? Jesus, Jesus knows what Jairus is experiencing. Jesus knows what Jairus is feeling. Jesus knows what Jairus is thinking. And what does Jesus do? He calmly, compassionately, and confidently says this, Mark 5, 36, it says, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Jesus says, trust me. He says, be patient. Jesus says, there's no need to hurry. 
I've got this, is basically what Jesus is saying. You know, timing, timing is a funny thing. Everyone has a different sense of timing. Amber and I have a very different sense of when we need to leave the house to get to a certain place at a certain time. No, no matter your sense of timing, what we see here is that God's sense of timing will always confound us. After all, we are finite. He is infinite. We work in linear time within our lifetime. God works in all time at once and is always working in respect to eternity by his very nature. So just as we were called to trust that the grace of Jesus is not contrary to the storms of this life last week, we are once again being called to trust that the grace and love of Jesus is present in what seems like unnecessary or even unloving delays by God in addressing our pain, our hurting, our suffering, our trial, our fear. And if we follow the thread through Mark thus far, we can trace it back and be reminded that Jesus always addresses our deepest need when we often bring a lesser need to him. And this brings us to the first truth about how we are to understand how God's timing addresses our needs and how we can persevere with peaceful patience. And it's this, when you go to Jesus for help, you will both get, give to and get from him far more than you bargain for. When you go to Jesus for help, you will both give to and get from him far more than you bargain for. Let me unpack that. I want to continue to the climax to see how Jairus wanted his daughter to be healed, but got far more. Mark 5, 37 through 42, it says, And he followed, he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. It says, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And that, to just not miss it, like that is such an affectionate way to say it. He's basically saying like, like honey, little beloved, get up and rise. There's so much tenderness and care. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. I mean, wouldn't you be amazed? I mean, think of Jairus, right? He came to Jesus to heal sickness. It didn't happen, but instead he experienced a resurrection. Again, when you go to Jesus for help, you get far more than you bargain for. Again, you think about maybe there's conflict in a relationship and you pray for God to heal that relationship. Yes, there's a work of, of, of restoring relationship, but, uh, but one of the greater things we always get more of is understanding God's grace of, of forgiving us. 
in his work uh, to, to a great sacrifice to reconcile us to him. Or maybe, maybe you're facing um, a loss of resources, a loss of, of, of income or, or, or ability. And we pray for God to deliver. We pray for God to provide. And, and in various ways, God responds to that. But the greatest need, the greatest opportunity is for God to remind us in those moments that he satisfies greater than anything else. We see this over and over again. So you get more than you bargain for when you go to Jesus for help. But you're also demanded to give more. Jairus wanted the healer to save his daughter. But Jesus demanded Jairus to trust him, to let go of control. Jairus believed Jesus to be able to provide a remedy for a physical need. And that's, that, that takes a step. But it is far more costly to trust Jesus as Messiah and Lord. Let's come back to the woman, the hemorrhaging woman, and look at verses 33 through 34 again. It says, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So again, she wanted to stay in secret, but Jesus made her reveal herself. Why did Jesus do that? Because she needed it. You have to realize this woman was a, she was she again having this this constant menstrual bleeding over 12 years in Jewish culture she would have been unclean in the eyes of, of the people and to touch a rabbi would have been greatly taboo she would have already felt the shame the outcast reality of being unclean and kind of having this impossibility to make clean because of the consistent bleeding and so Jesus didn't just want her to be healed physically, but he wanted her to be healed relationally with her. He wanted to invite her into being known, to stepping out and being known, free from shame and guilt. Jesus says, go in peace, right? This, is, this isn't just to go with a peace of mind and now you don't have to worry about this anymore. This is a covenantal relationship statement. This to go in peace is the idea of shalom, right? It is, and shalom is, is the idea from God that all is as it should be. All is complete. All is whole. And to know that ultimately in the, in the reality of God and his work in Christ, there is no peace without Jesus. That's why we call him the Prince of Peace, by the way. He is the one who ushers in peace because no peace matters unless it is between you and God. And only Jesus provides that. He not only invited her to being known, but also spoke the blessing of restored relationship. She got much more than she bargained for, but she had to give much more. She had to take the risk. She had to step out. She had to, to expose herself. I imagine she didn't have time to clean off yet. This brings us to the other truth for abiding with God and peaceful patience. So yes, when we go to Jesus for help, we both give more and get more than we bargained for. But we have to remember this. Jesus gives more of himself than he ever asks of you. 
We come back to the woman. It says, Jesus felt power go from him. Power went from Jesus to the woman. He gave of himself for her healing. Again, Jesus had the reputation of a, of a powerful healing rabbi. And to go into the presence of a dead body, he would be giving of his reputation. And these are just foreshadowing of the greatest way in which Jesus gave of himself for your sake. And that is the cross. Because again, we need, we have a need that cannot be overcome without Jesus because we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in that we have broken relationship with God that God desires to restore that relationship. And he knew that it is only through Christ that we can be restored. And so at great cost to himself, giving of himself, Jesus he, he took on our sin. He took on our death that we deserved to give us his life, to give us his resurrection, to give us hope and peace. Jesus gives more of himself than he asks of you. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, he gave it all so that we could have it all. Not by our merit, but his. We can persevere with peaceful patience because we trust Jesus as our Messiah King. And that means that we understand that we will give more and get more than, than we bargained for when we approach Jesus for help and that Jesus always has given more than we, he ever asked of us. So as you are facing what you are facing in this life, remember the character and goodness of God. Remember the exhibition of love, mercy, grace, and compassion and justice that, that all came together perfectly on the cross of Jesus. Remember the promise that you, it's not just our physical needs or our emotional needs, but it's our deepest needs that are met by Jesus. He never downplays or diminishes the realities of our humanity, but he always tells us that we are far more than that. Our hope, our peace is not is not so fragile that it's dependent on those things, but it is rooted in an eternal loving, eternal good, eternal wise, eternal existing God and how God has worked in Christ for us. So as you reflect on this and as you come together with your house churches, ponder and reflect on what are these things that you are struggling, trusting the goodness of God in this timing in your life. Zoom out and remember that there are some, some crucial details that you just don't know of, of how God is working in your life. Trust that, that there, is a, there is a work in place that will culminate with eternal hope and eternal peace. Reflect on that. Wrestle with that together. Call each other to that reality in Jesus. I want to close with this uh, prayer. I want to close with kind of having James 1, 2 through 4 leading us into our prayer. It says, 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, Lord, that is our prayer. Lord, we face trials in this life. It is certain. We face hardship. We face pain. We face fear and suffering. And, Lord, you tell us here, and you show us in Christ, Lord, that when we go through these and we lean into trusting you and we experience, Lord, the, the, the process of you sustaining us in grace, of you working through us and in us by your love and your truth, Lord, that in that we grow in our understanding of you, we grow in our understanding of your hope and peace and promise in Christ, and we grow in understanding who we are as your image bearers and beloved creation, who you loved enough to send your only son Jesus to shed his blood and give his life, that we could be restored, the very ones who rebelled and sinned against you, God. Lord, humble us. Lord, enliven us. Stir us up and remind us daily of who we are to you, what you've done for us, and, and what this life has opportunity for in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our waiting. Lord, bring peace. Be glorified. Lord, we surrender and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I pray this finds you well. I pray this, this this part of God ushering you into his presence and relationship and grace. And I cannot wait to see you again, God willing. We are better together for the glory of God. See you soon.